Well, grab your Bibles or your smart devices, and if you are a smart device user, you might want to find the free YouVersion Bible app because there are uh, notes you can follow along using that Bible app to go along with today's message. Uh, we are just under menu, live events, and you'll find us in there as Neighborhood Church. So you just open those up or just use your Bible or the back of the bulletin. There's lots of ways you can engage with today's message. Well, today we're going to bring this whole series on Won't You Be My Neighbor, The Art of Neighboring to, to a Close. And what we've been talking about is we are neighborhood church. We, we are moving into our new campus as a neighborhood church, but this move is not just a physical move from here to there. This really is a mindset move of how we're going to look at our community, how we're going to look at our immediate neighbors around us as a church, and how you individually will begin looking differently at your neighbors. In fact, I'm just curious how many of you over the course of these four messages have kind of looked up and looked at your neighbors maybe a bit differently than you had before this series started. Anybody want to be honest and say, yeah, I've kind of paid a little more attention to what's happening around me. I've actually seen my neighbors. Normally, I really don't pay attention to that except maybe they wave, but now I'm getting a little more intentional. And that is the whole goal here, is to adjust our thinking to accommodate our neighbors. Because when Jesus summed up the whole of the Old Testament, which was his Bible in the day in which he ministered, he said, everything, everything hangs on these two commands, love God and love your neighbor. And as Christians, I think we do pretty good on loving God, but we have fallen short on loving our neighbor as ourself. And it's time to gain some ground back. Because one of the things, friends, that mark us as Christians, Jesus said, by this they will know you are my disciples or my followers. And what was the by this? It was love. It was actually having an interest in people that had no self-serving goal in mind. It was just to love, and to, to become a better neighbor to those around us. So last week, we looked at some barriers that keep us from being good neighbors. And today, I want to talk about now some good habits, some good habits, habits of being a good neighbor. See, there was a dad of a couple of girls, and he recognized that he just wasn't becoming the dad he wanted to be. And I know as a, as a dad personally, I, and some of you men can relate to this, we always feel like, man, there's probably more I could do. Well, this dad just said, you know what, i, I got to get intentional because just having good intentions isn't enough. I need to create a plan. And so he sat down and thought, what is it that my daughters really need from me? What can I do to intentionally be a better dad? And so he created a, a simple strategy, and it was four rhyming words because he knew being a guy, it needed to be simple and something he could apply rather quickly right into the lives of his daughters. And so he came up with four words that would help him do that. And the first one was that he would stay, that he would stay in his girl's world rather than being wrapped up in his own, his world of career and, and business and hobbies, that he would, he would stay in their world and get interested in them. Then he, he discovered that he wanted to pray, that he would pray consistent and specific prayers for his daughters. The third thing was that he would say, that he would take time to bless them, to say words that would encourage them and build them up, words that would bless them, words that would call them up. And then finally, he said that he would play, that he would intentionally play with his daughters. Because as a dad, he kind of struggled with how to do that. And so he said, I'm just going to have fun with them. I'm going to play. And so as he began to follow his four simple habits of being a better dad, he noticed it wasn't as hard as he thought to do these things. And then he discovered that those four same things applied to his marriage 
began to improve the relationship he had with his wife. And then those same concepts that he began to develop with his daughters also began to change how he looked at his friends and his co-workers and even his neighbors. And he said, wow, these concepts of being in their world and and understanding where they're at and trying to to place myself available to them with no agenda made a big difference in the relationship he had with his friends. And as he began to pray for his friends or his spouse or his coworkers, how that began to change his heart toward them. And he noticed that it wasn't what started out as a strategy to be a better dad began to make him into a better man relationally in, in all the avenues of his relationship. And so as I was reading his story, I thought, you know, what if we applied these habits of being a good dad to being a good neighbor. So we're going to take some time today, and there's some fill-in-the-blanks in your bulletin if you want to fill in those, to, to break this down to improve our art of neighboring. So when people look at us, they would actually say, hey, won't you be my neighbor? There's something about you that is compelling to me. Won't you be my neighbor? So as we close this series today, here's the first habit. The first one is this, stay, stay, to love your neighbors by getting to know them. Love your neighbors by getting to know them. Staying is loving your neighbor by basically learning about them. Last week, I challenged us all, including myself, with the neighborhood map, where, uh, and in fact, there's kind of a version of the neighborhood map right now in your bulletin as an insert. And last week, I just simply asked, how many of you can, can name the eight neighbors that live around you? If, you? if you live in a traditional neighborhood block, your house, and then you have neighbors on all sides of you. And I just said, how many of you might know their name? How many might know some basic information about them besides just looking out your window at them, things you would discover through a conversation? How many know their histories, their hurts, or their hopes, their hobbies? How many of you would have gone at that level with your neighbors? And and what we've discovered is more and more folks have taken this survey is that not many of us neighbor as we should. And staying just means being willing to enter into their world. And what I talked about last week specifically was, as a neighbor, what can we do more intentionally to step into their stories, into their world, and get to know them? And so it was a goal to say, hey, we're going to get more intentional. We're going to stay. We're going to get to know names. And then once we get to know names, we're going we're to get to know histories and, and hopes, and maybe even eventually hurts that are in the neighbors around me. Because that's all a sign of the fact that you care. Because it's not enough to fall in love with the idea of neighboring. We have to do something more. In fact, knowing your neighbor's name could be one of the most important first steps to being a missionary to your neighbor. When it comes to missionally living, just being on purpose for God's kingdom, just, it starts by knowing their name. Because how can you love somebody when you don't know their name, Right? If we're called to love our neighbors, it starts by getting to know them. And then we move beyond just knowing them to knowing their stories. And you know, here's a basic rule of conversation. And I'm sure you've thought about this before. But when it starts to, you have a name and now you want to start having a conversation, here's the rule of conversing with your neighbor. The conversation will go basically as far as you lead it. And most of us, we stay where? In the, in the, in the fluffy stuff. Uh, how about the weather today? This is, this is great weather. I mean, who really wants to talk about weather, right? I mean, nobody does, except for the weather reporters, right? But it's just an easy, hey, well, how about this rain? And then we sometimes move from that to how about those beavers or how about those ducks? And we start having just these kind of surface conversations. And then it's, it, you, then it's like, okay, now where do we go in our conversation? We've talked weather. We've talked sports. 
we can't talk about politics, you know, so where do we go next? And, and the issue is the conversation generally goes to the depth to which you will take it. And sometimes by simply saying, hey, I don't know if, I, if you've had a chance to, to, to meet my wife, but her name is Tricia, I have, you know, some kids, and you can start talking about kids. The next thing you know, that neighbor might start talking about family, and you've moved to another layer. Isn't it interesting? Just You often are the ones who, who leads that conversation a little bit deeper just by staying. Another, another rule of staying is this, seeing the best in others, seeing the best in others. You know, the, in that parable I told of, of the Samaritan, the good Samaritan, one of the first things that Jesus makes mention about when it comes to the Samaritan who came upon the man who was robbed and left dead, look at what it says in Luke chapter 10, verse 33. It says this, but a Samaritan as he traveled, so he was on, he was on mission just like the Levite, just like the priest who all happened to bypass the man who was beaten and left dead. But when he traveled, came to where the man was. Notice the next word, and when he saw him. I think it's interesting that was intentionally put in there. He saw him, and what he saw led him to the next step, that he took pity on him. And then we know the story plays out. It wasn't just pity. It actually led to action. When you look at your neighbor, what do you see? Do you just see the stuff, the grass that's too tall, the annoying pet that seems to leave droppings in your side of the yard? Do you see the car that's never operating, sitting in the driveway, leaking everywhere? Do do you see some of the annoying behavior? What do you see when you look at your neighbor? There was a time that Jesus taught us a very important lesson on this. He was at a person's house. He had been invited to dinner, and he he went to the house of, of a guy named Simon who was a Pharisee. And during the party that was taking place in this home, a woman enters the home. And this woman had a past a shameful past, and she comes into the house, and and she's broken, and she's weeping, and she makes her way directly to Jesus, and as he's seated and reclined at the table, she comes behind Jesus, and she's crying, and the tears begin to wet his feet, and then she washes his feet with her hair, and she's kissing his feet, and she begins to pour perfume on his feet, And, and the host, Simon, when he looks at this woman, all he can see is her sin her shame, her past. And he basically says to Jesus, he's thinking to his mind, if you really knew who this woman was, why would you be letting her touch you? But then Jesus does something very different. He sees a different perspective on this woman. He doesn't see her her sinful past. No, he sees a future He sees her heart. And in Luke 7, 44, of of where this passage is found in Luke 7, just listen to what what Jesus said. He says that he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? And when he asked Simon that question, it wasn't like, are your eyes working? You know, can you physically see? That wasn't the point. The point was, do you see as I see? Do you see this woman? Can you see past her shame, her hurt, her sin? Can you see her as I see her, as somebody who's worthy of being attended to, somebody who's worthy of salvation? And we apply that to our neighborhood. And I know sometimes you have neighbors that maybe annoy you. And when you look at them, you're looking at them through, through eyes that are, that, are, that are accusing and making assumptions. And maybe it's just time to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. How does Jesus see my neighbor? How can I begin to see the best? 
It's easy to see the worst, but how can I try harder to see the best in my neighbors? And staying also requires this, not only that we see the best in others, but that we listen well. We as Americans in our culture, we've, we've not got very good at listening. We have more and more and more ways to communicate, but we don't do a very good job at listening. In fact, if we are listening, if it appears as though we're listening, what we're actually doing is thinking about what we're going to say next. Is that, isn't that true? You might think you're listening, but you're actually thinking about what you're going to say in response to what this person is saying, and you really weren't listening to them. And staying with our neighbors requires that we listen well. I think sometimes we try too hard to be interesting to our neighbors. I think, what am I going to say? What, what am I going to do? How am I going to be interesting to them? Maybe the point is just show interest in them by listening to them, listening to their stories, listening well for the point of getting to know them. Because oftentimes when we listen, we're listening for two things, how we're the same and how we're different. And depending upon the balance of those two, how much we're similar or how much we're different, we make assumptions based on the balance of those two things. And so we start thinking, let's just start listening and hear. You'll be amazed at what you discover as you just listen well to your neighbors. So the first habit, to stay, to stay, to get to know your neighbors. The second one is this, to pray. Love your neighbors by praying for them, by praying for them. Every single one of us sitting in this room have something in common. At the base of our heads, there's a bundle of nerves. And within that bundle of nerves, there is something called the reticular activator. And what this thing does for us, you may not even have thought about this thing before, right? But what it does for us is it helps us to filter out what's happening around us. Because every day you are barraged by all kinds of sights, all kinds of smells, all kinds of stimuli, all kinds of information. And this, the job of this reticular activator is to help you to filter out unnecessary information. Otherwise, what would happen, it would, be, it would be as though you were getting every single radio station that is broadcast at the same time. But thankfully, we have a tuner that helps us to tune into a station, right? So we have this thing inside of the base of our head that helps us to tune into certain things and therefore tune out things that aren't important. But here's how we know that this thing has worked. Some of you have a love for, let's say, horses. And so as you're driving around, guess what you see more than maybe somebody who doesn't really care about horses? You see horses. That's why when you're riding in a car with somebody, you can say, hey, did you see that? And they might say, what? Right? You saw it because you were tuned into it, but they didn't see it. Or maybe you've seen it this way. You decided to buy a new car, a certain make and model of a car. And next thing you know, you've seen a lot of that make and model of car all around you. You didn't really pay attention to that make and model before you had an interest in it, before you bought one. Now it's like, man, that car is like everywhere. I thought it was going to be unique and be the only one who had this car. What happened is when you had an interest, it opened a window, and you began to allow more information about that thing into your brain. And so your brain has a way of filtering. But here's the thing. It oftentimes filters out stuff that you should have been paying attention to. Now let me bring this to a context of faith. Prayer has a way of opening windows of things that we have previously shut out. As you begin to pray for your neighbor, it begins to open a window 
a window of interest into what's going on in their life. And all of a sudden, you find yourself looking more in the direction of your neighbor, not not to to stare at them or or to gossip or to stalk them, but all of a sudden, you're paying attention now to things that maybe you hadn't paid attention to before because now you're praying for your neighbor. And it opens up a window. In fact, Paul says it this way in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Friends, it's time for our, our, our hearts just to be enlightened to what's going on around, not only about what God is doing, but what God is doing in the lives of our neighbors. And sometimes just by praying, it begins to open a window of interest. And prayer is vital because it helps us to refocus how we see people and maybe even how we see them the way God sees them. And there's something I've found to be true personally, and maybe you have as well, that when I began to pray for somebody, especially somebody that I was irritated at, my prayer may not have changed them at all, but it changed me. That neighbor that irritates you, you might be praying at them, you might try praying for them. The next thing you know, it changes your heart toward them. So we pray. We love our neighbors by, by praying for them. And then be, be mindful of the fact that when you pray for your neighbors, God may be tapping you on the shoulder and saying, you have a part to play in answering the prayer you're praying right now for your neighbors. Let me give you an example. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 38, Jesus is talking to his disciples. This is in a context of praying for more laborers into the harvest. Look at what he says. He said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out laborers or workers into the harvest field. Who answered that prayer? As they were taught to pray for it, guess who also became the workers and the laborers? The disciples did. And so in essence, they were praying for something they would also be a part of doing. So as you begin to pray for your neighbors, we think about the fact that maybe God has something he wants me to do. And as I pray for our neighbor, God might drop something in my heart where he says, great, I'm glad you're praying for him. Now why don't you go do this? And in so doing, you could discover, wow, that actually is a step in God answering the prayer I'm praying for my neighbors. And when you pray for them, pray specifically for them, not just God Bless this neighbor over here. God, bless that neighbor over there. God, bless, 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 bless. As you get to know names, you get to know stories, you get to know histories, you get to know hurts, you begin to pray for those things. God, I pray for my neighbor who lost her husband earlier this year. Would you just be a comforter to her? Help me to know what we can do to help her. And you notice that prayer begins to move in your heart and move you to action. So we pray. The third habit is to play. To love your neighbors by offering hospitality. Jesus loved to socialize because he loved people. One way that we can play with our neighbors, you know, I remember the day when I was a kid, used to walk over to the neighbor's house and say, hey, can Robert come out and play? Uh, It could be kind of creepy if you were to walk over to your neighbor's house. Can you come out and play? I mean, that might not go over well, but one of the ways you can play is by just offering hospitality to your neighbors. Do you know that the home you live in is one of the most underutilized resources that God has given you? It is. What if your front room, your kitchen, your backyard, your barbecue grill, your garage, or even your tools became resources through which God would use to touch your neighbors? 
What would happen if we began to look at things the way that Jesus looked at things? Because you know what? Jesus seemed to be always around a table. It's interesting to me when you look at his stories, he's either going to meet with somebody or he just met with somebody or he had dinner with somebody, and Jesus was one of the most socializing, party-loving kind of guys. In fact, that's what got him in trouble. You might recall that in, in uh, Matthew chapter 11, he was hanging out with sinners and tax collectors, and he got a bad rap for it. Look at what it says. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. This is Jesus. And they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I think that what these religious elite believed to be a slam to Jesus, I think he took it as a compliment. I was like, I like the sound of that. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. I think I like that. And one of the things that really challenged me as I was preparing for this service, as I was reading a book on, on neighboring, and, and one of the things the guy says in the book just kind of struck me right in the middle of the face, as I'm sure it will you. He says, he asked the question, who has been sitting around your dinner table? Now, some of you are going, I don't even know that we sit around our dinner table, right? I mean, but the question is, who sits around your dinner table? But here's the next part of the question. Does the audience at your table look like the audience that would be around Jesus' table. And it's like, oh, I hadn't thought about that that way. He didn't mind hanging out with people who were very different from him, people he considered neighbors that he loved because he loved to socialize with. And when it comes to your personal belongings, they're either a bucket in which you contain and build and hold or it becomes a pipeline through which God uses you and your stuff to be a blessing. Your house, is it a bucket or is it a pipeline that can benefit your neighbors? And I, I know what you're thinking. You're going, yeah, but this is my space. This is where I go and retreat. I get it. And that's the same reason why your neighbor pulls up to their driveway, opens that garage door, pulls inside, closes the garage door, and you never see them because that's their retreat. But the reality is they probably could use some socializing. So here's something to think about immediately. What could I do this holiday season? What could I do this holiday season that might be more hospitable to my neighbors? It might start with a plate of goodies that you just deliver to your neighbors and say, hey, Merry Christmas from our family to yours. Here's a plate of goodies. Maybe sometime we can, we can get together and have some coffee and just kind of see where it goes from there. Don't be creepy, but just kind of think about what are baby steps that move me in the direction of being more hospitable? It's not like, hey, come over to my house for an overnighter. You know, we don't need to go there, okay? But simple things of being hospitable. Maybe even if you're, you get to know your neighbors a bit more than maybe some, maybe you even consider how you can have a neighborhood Christmas party. Bring the strange white elephant gift that everybody laughs at and just have a fun time. Because maybe you already know your neighbor's names, a little bit about them, and it's maybe time to take the next step. Wow, that's how we play. We just become more hospitable. And then finally, the last habit is to say, to love your neighbors by sharing Christ with them. Notice that I chose to put it last, right? Why? Because we can't often go here until we've already established some of the other things, that we know them, that we've prayed with or for them, that we've been able to have them into our house or at least into our stories. And now we have the opportunity to go to the next step, which is to say, to share Christ. And I love the way that Paul says this. Look at what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. Because we loved you so much, 
we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Your neighbors just don't want gospel from you. They want your life. But here's what I know to be true. Hopefully, if you're an an authentic follower of Jesus, it is your life. The gospel of God or the gospel of Christ is not just something you go to on a Sunday, but it's something that is your life. And then when you share that, you're inviting them into that environment with you. And here's what I've discovered to be true. People don't mind spiritual conversations. But you talk about church, they, they might have some hard feelings about church. But people don't mind having spiritual conversations. In fact, sometimes they're having a spiritual conversation and they don't even know they're having a spiritual conversation. But we have been taught not to go there. We've been taught the culture doesn't want to hear your story. In fact, to quote the great American philosopher, Forrest Gump, listen to what he said. (laughs) If you go to the zoo, always take something to feed the animals. Even if the signs say, do not feed the animals. It wasn't the animals that put them signs up. <laughs> right? So here's the truth. You might think the culture says, Shh, just to hold your tongue. Don't, don't talk about that stuff. Nobody cares about it. And so our, our culture puts up signs that says, don't talk about spiritual things with your friends or your neighbors. But the truth is it wasn't your friends or neighbors that put those signs up. People don't mind having authentic spiritual conversations. In fact, Jesus teaches us a lot about that, and we're going to wrap it up with this really quickly. But in John chapter 4, Jesus has a conversation. And you could call it a neighbor, but really this wasn't a neighbor at all. This was a Samaritan woman who most Jewish people would not be hanging out with, especially a rabbi like Jesus. But he sees her as a neighbor. That's kind of the reverse of the Good Samaritan story. Now it's Jesus being a good neighbor to a Samaritan woman. But we find it in John chapter 4. And in this passage, we're going to learn quick, quickly just six things, six things that we can learn about conversations from Jesus. Here we go. first one is this. Jesus crossed barriers to meet people on their own turf. Let's look at it. John chapter 4, verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. Now, it wasn't that Jesus had to go through it. Okay, there was a path that all the Jews used that went around Samaria because you didn't walk through there. Jewish people wouldn't even walk in Samaritan territory because they would become unclean. But Jesus had to. Why? Because he, he had to. There was a woman waiting by a well that needed to have a conversation with him. So he had to walk through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground where Jacob, uh, that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then John gives us some context. He says, For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So Jesus crosses gender and social and religious roles in having this conversation with this woman who came to the well. We talked about some of those barriers last week that often keep us from getting to know our neighbors better, but Jesus transgressed those. He went right across them to have a conversation. And you notice it wasn't a very deep conversation, was it? He didn't say to her, woman, you're a sinner. What did he say? Will you get me a drink? Next step, Jesus used natural 
conversation to talk about spiritual topics. Look at verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and who drank from it himself and did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Why did, why did Jesus describe salvation as living water? Because it was what they were talking about. It was the natural conversation. They're at a well. He's thirsty. Can you give me a drink? Okay, drink. And that led to a conversation about spiritual things. Jesus just kind of stepped into the natural conversation and began to take that conversation a little bit deeper. And they were already talking about that water, so he just spiritualized it. And friends, you know what? There are some common life events that you and your neighbor have in common that if you begin to talk through those, you'd be amazed how quickly those could become a springboard to a conversation about spiritual things. I'm not saying it has to go directly to, hey, will you go to church with me on Sunday? But there's interesting ways that God can, can take normal conversations as a springboard to have conversations about faith. Number three, if Jesus uh, saw that his approach wasn't working, then he didn't force it. Notice where it goes in the story now, verse 15. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. So apparently she wasn't getting it. His communication about living water, that's me. And she was like, I want this water. And he's like, okay, this isn't working. So what's he do? He told her, go, call your husband and come back. Different approach. He realized he wasn't, she wasn't getting what he meant, so he changed the subject to something, well, a little more personal than water. Which brings us to the next point, number four. Jesus focused on her life. Verse 17, I have no husband. She replied, and Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you have is not your husband. What you have said is, is quite true. Now, okay, side note, this is Jesus, okay? So don't go have a conversation with your neighbor about how many wives or husbands or relationships they've had, because I'm just telling you that's going to be a closed door right there. But for Jesus, he, he kind of, he's God, so he kind of knew what he was doing here. So he began to go, but what did he do? He, he stepped into her life. He began to focus on her life. And when you learn your neighbor's histories and hopes and hurts, it's amazing how conversations can begin to minister to them. Because if you listen to people well, they'll begin to give you keys to begin to speak to where they are in their life. And sometimes something as simple as, you know what, I'm going to pray for you this week. I know that must have been hard. That, that segue, you never know where that conversation could go. But focus on their life. Number five, Jesus gently corrected her misunderstanding. So, verse 19, she didn't really care where this conversation was going. So she's about to redirect, all right? So she says, sir, the woman said, I can see you're a prophet because you just told me everything about me. Not comfortable. So our ancestor, she just totally changes the subject now, diverts the attention away from her. They worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you'll worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. 
We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kinds of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So this woman had a misunderstanding about worship. She was feeling too hot about the conversation, where it was going, so it was like, okay, let's talk about something else. Let's divert away. But Jesus took some time to gently correct her misunderstanding about what worship really was. It wasn't about a location. It's about worshiping with spirit and in truth. And so when you're having maybe a conversation, or perhaps you've already had a faith-based conversation with your neighbor, and it began to reveal some things that were misunderstandings about Jesus or God or the Bible, here's the thing. It's okay to begin to have conversations with them about what they are thinking about that. In fact, the best way to step into it is, how did you come to that conclusion about Jesus? Rather than saying, wrong, you're a pagan, you're a sinner, and you're wrong. Just say, hey, how did you come to that conclusion? And begin to allow them to talk into what happened. Maybe you hear stories about why they hate church today. And rather than trying to defend church, you hear their story about, well, that, if I went through that, I, I think I would be hurt too. I'm sorry that was your experience, but that is not who Jesus is. And that's not what his true brightest church is supposed to be like. And isn't it interesting how you can have those conversations and gently correct if you're willing to go there? And so he did that. He took an opportunity to step into that and bring some correction to her misunderstanding because the truth is people often have misunderstood Jesus or the true mission of the church. They misunderstood it. Number six, Jesus pointed toward himself, the one that she needed. In John chapter 4, look what it says, verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one you are speaking to, I am he. Don't get distracted by, by tangents. He, he was able just to kind of say, this is me. Brought the conversation around to him. I know that when you have conversations about faith or spirituality or even the church with some people, sometimes they'll go quickly to the issues of things like bad church history. Why, if God is so loving, then why would Christians kill thousands of people in these, in these crusades? Or they, or they want to jump to hot cultural issues like gender identity or same-sex attraction, and they kind of want to go that direction. And, and, and I just, I choose not to enter that fray. I choose to keep bringing it back to Jesus. Because what I've discovered is some people might hate the church or might hate what they think the church represents, but they kind of like Jesus. They look at his story and go, man, he was a man of compassion, of love. He, he was kind to people. He fed the hungry. He ministered to the hurting. People like him. So you just keep bringing the conversation back to Jesus rather than going down these little tangents, either in social media or in conversations that we have. So he brought it back to himself. But you know what? As we bring this thing to landing, you got to see that not only was Jesus a good example of how to have a conversation, we can learn a lot from the woman as well. As you look at the rest of the story, it says that she goes back to her village after this conversation with Jesus. And it says that she tells everybody about Jesus and how he knew everything about her. And she said, could he be the Messiah? And the villagers came with her back to Jesus and they got to know him and they put their faith in him and asked Jesus to stay a few more days. We learned some very important lessons as neighbors from her as well. And it was this, that she knew her neighbors. 
Even though they knew her story and and maybe she wasn't the most liked person in her village, she knew her neighbors and she went back to them with this good news, which brings us to the next point she learned is is that she opened her eyes to her neighbor. She could have gone back and said, oh, it was so neat for me to see Jesus and meet him and kept that to herself, but she opened her eyes to the neighbors around her and said, they need to hear this. If he would talk to me, a broken Samaritan woman with lots of of relational baggage behind me, certainly he would care for for my fellow villagers. And so they She lifted her eyes and saw her neighbors. And then number three, she told her story. She didn't hesitate to tell what happened. In fact, telling her story meant talking about what everybody already knew about her, about her broken past, but she told her story. And then finally, she asked her neighbors a thoughtful question. Could this be the Messiah? It caused them to think about it. It caused an interest to rise. I think we can learn some things from her as well. But here's the deal. We don't determine the results when it comes to these conversations with our neighbors. In fact, you might be thinking, man, I've had those conversations and they have gone nowhere toward what I thought they would do when I began to have that conversation with my neighbors. Let me just remind you of what uh, Robert Louis Stevenson wrote. He said, don't judge each day by the harvest you reap, but by the seeds that you plant. Remember that as Christians, we're called to love our neighbors, not convert them, But in the process of loving them, it means we're going to listen well. We're going to get to know them. We're going to pray for them. We're going to be hospitable to them. And ultimately, we might have a conversation concerning faith and spirituality and Jesus with them. And in that moment still, the results aren't up to us. It's up to God. But here's what I know about God. He's already been there in the hearts and souls of people. In fact, Ecclesiastes 3 tells us this, that God has set eternity in the human heart. So you look at your neighbor and you go, what? God's already been here because he has set eternity in the human heart. Every human being created in the image of God has a beacon within them that God has placed. And one conversation with your neighbor or a series of conversations and kind acts may begin to welcome and open that conversation that touches their heart. Why? Because God's already been there. Can you believe God's work in your neighborhood? I told us last week, it's no mystery that you are living where you're living. God has, has set that into motion, even choosing your neighbors and even knowing the hearts and lives of your neighbors. So it's time for us to lift our eyes and to see them. So don't, don't try to win them. Just start by loving them. And when you love them, through staying and praying and playing and saying, have an opportunity to talk about faith. You're doing the habits of a good neighbor. Let's pray. Father, today, it's not enough for us to know how to be a good neighbor. It's not enough to know that we should love our neighbor as we love ourselves. It's time to do something with that love. We know, God, that we cannot passively love our neighbors. That if we are to do what you told us, to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, that's going to call us to action. That's going to, that's, going to, that's going to cause us to know their names, to step into their stories and know their histories and their hurts, and maybe even their hopes. And then through that, being able to have conversations about faith and life and you. But it all starts with love. 
God, help us not turn our neighbors into projects. That's not the point. They're people. People worthy of love, regardless of of their race, their gender, their lifestyle. They're worthy of love. Unconditional. But that love cannot be passive. So help us this week to be thinking about what is it that I need to do Maybe it starts by just seeing my neighbors in a different light. Maybe it needs to be a challenge to pray for them. Or for some, it's time to open their homes and their hearts and invite them in. So God, we just pray you'd help us. Jesus, you were a great neighbor. What a perfect example. You hung out with people because you loved them, not because you had an agenda for them. But because of that genuine love, The conversations went deeper. So God, help us. As we come to a close of this this series, may it not just be something that we we look at as as a wonderful teaching, but God, help us to apply it, to do what it says.